Good to have Nicole back with us tonight. Good to have all of you here tonight. We're glad you're here with us. Ephesians chapter 2 tonight, as we continue our study on Wednesday evenings of this letter that Paul is writing to really help us to understand our identity, who we are, and what God has done so that we can walk with clarity through our earthly life. And I'm not going to concentrate on the first three verses of Ephesians 2 because that primarily deals with who we were. Paul starts out in verse 1, although we were dead in transgressions and sins, although we walked according to the course of this world, although we were heavily under the influence of the evil one, although we were, you know, succumbing to the cravings of our flesh over and over again, So you see in those three verses sort of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in a sense, before Christ, we did not have the power to to be able to resist their influence. It all changes in verse 4. And I want you to follow along with me as we look at verses 4 through 10 tonight. Because again, we're not going to concentrate on the first three verses of who we were we're going to concentrate on who we are. And that's revealed to us in verses 4 through 10. So Paul begins in verse 4 by saying, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ, seated us, with Christ in the heavenly realms. And then he says, by grace you are saved. Then he says, he raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. To demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. For by grace we are saved through faith. It is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. So much in these verses tonight, but here's how I'd like to start out. If I had to title these verses from verses 4 through 10 of Ephesians 2, I think I would entitle them the God factor. And the reason I say that is because Paul paints a pretty bleak picture of who we were in the first three verses. Can't get any worse than being dead He doesn't say that we need resuscitated after the first three verses. He says we need a resurrection. We're dead in transgressions, in sin. It can't be a bleaker picture that Paul paints of our spiritual condition before God in the first three verses. But when he gets to verse 4, two very important words, but God. See, God 
when he enters into the situation, makes all the difference in the world. That's what I want us to see tonight. That the God factor in our lives can change our perspective in each and every situation, each and every circumstance. When you and I allow God to be factored in, it changes everything. But God. I don't know what you're going through, what you're dealing with, what circumstances or situations and all of that, but here's what I know. God makes all the difference. God makes all the difference. And, and a lot of times when we think of those words, but God, we think of them in another way. We think of them as if when God comes to us and in is calling us to something or inviting us to something or summoning us to something or whatever and and we start rationalizing and making excuses and telling God we're the wrong guy for the, you know, like Moses, but God, but God, you know. And yet, Paul's using those two words in the exact opposite way. It's like, here's how bad the situation is, but God changes everything. God makes all the difference in the world. And what Paul wants us to see is really four things from this God factor that helps change our perspective. First of all, I want us to look at the power of God in us. The power of God in us. Because again, in the first three verses, Paul says we're dead in transgressions and sins. And then in verse 5, he even says, even though you were dead in transgressions, notice, God made us alive in Christ. That's power. To take us from a spiritually dead condition to a spiritually alive condition. You see, something I want us to remember tonight as Christians is that you and I have already experienced a resurrection in our life. That's what Paul's telling us. We all, as Christians, have already experienced a spiritual resurrection. All we're awaiting one day is a physical resurrection of this body. But I know God can do that because he's already raised, raised me from the dead once in a spiritual way. I was spiritually dead, and the power of God in me through my faith in Christ made me alive. It took me from the lowest of lows to the highest of heights. In fact, Paul goes on to say that. He, he not only says he made us alive, but he goes on to say that he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places, in the heavenly realms. So he took us from the lowest low to the highest high. Now, the reason why that's important, and again, why this God factor changes everything, is because, again, many times you and I are reluctant, even after we become a, a saved individual, to sort of allow God to do all that he wants to do with us, in us, and through us. Because we start experiencing all these you know, well, but, and, and self-doubt, and all this. And, and yet Jesus even said to his followers while he was on earth, 
When I leave and go back to my Father and send the Holy Spirit, you'll do greater things. And yet many times we have a really hard time truly believing that, either as individuals or as a church, that God wants to do greater things than he even did when Jesus was here. And the reason we struggle with that is because we forget what Paul's teaching here, that if God took me one day in a dead spiritual condition and raised me to new life in Christ and made me alive in Christ, then why can I not trust God to do unbelievable things in and through me now because he's already accomplished that once in my life when he raised me spiritually from the dead by his power, you see. And let's not forget, we talked a lot about the power of God last week because it's it's something that Paul always wants us to come back to. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 19, remember, Paul's on his knees. After initially in the first 14 verses where Paul says, this greatness of God and this greatness of our salvation should lead us to praise. And he talks about praising the glory of God and the glory of his grace in verse 6 and 12 and 14. Then Paul drops to his knees because Paul begins to see that God wants to make us part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And there's something very humbling about that and something that really helps us to realize how much we need to depend and rely on God. So he drops to his knees, not just for himself, but he begins to pray for the Ephesian Christians and he asked God for three things that they would know the hope of his calling that they would know the wealth of the inheritance in the saints and then don't notice verse 19 that they would know the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe that same power he goes on to say that raised Jesus from the dead and seated Jesus at the right hand of God far above every rule, every authority, every power, every dominion, every name that is named, Paul says in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 1. And Paul says this same power that raised Jesus from the, the dead and exalted him to the highest place of the universe is the same power that is in us. So he picks that back up in chapter 2, in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 6 talking to us about our spiritually dead condition and yet now we've been made alive by the power of Christ and that power dwells in us. So he's saying, does not the God factor, the fact that God's power now pulsates in our being, does that not change our perspective about things when we look at things and when God comes to us and says, I'd like you to do this for me or I'd like to do this through you or I'd like your church to be a part of this plan or this purpose. And instead of saying, but God, we say, you know what, God? If you've already raised me from the dead once, then why can I not trust you for something else? If I believe that you resurrected me spiritually, then what could be greater than that, you see? So Paul begins to talk about the God factor, but God. And what I, I would, I think more than anything, what I would like to leave with all of us tonight is those two words just sort of hanging in our life, in our minds, in our hearts for a while. That as we hear about something, as maybe we're given news, as we see something, as, as we have to deal with something, if something, you know, comes into our life, that before we start to fret and worry and get concerned and get all anxious about it and all that, we say, but God, <laughs> but God. 
Because when we again allow God to be part of it, it changes everything. It changes our perspective. First of all, because of the power of God in us that already raised us spiritually from the dead. But notice something else here. The other thing that we see in this God factor is not just the power of God in us. We see the heart of God towards us. The heart of God towards us. Notice some of the phrasing that Paul uses in this passage. First of all, he says, being rich in mercy towards us, verse 4. Not just merciful, that God is rich in mercy, rich in compassion, rich in pity, rich in being moved to want to, to come and, and to aid and to support and to help. He's a merciful God. And his mercies, the Bible teaches us, is new every morning. God literally pours his mercy into our life and on us each and every day. That's his heart towards his children. But then he goes on to say in verse 4 that he doesn't just love us. He says because of his great love toward us. He doesn't just love us. He loves us greatly, abundantly. In fact, you and I, even as his children, really cannot fathom how much God loves us. Now, we, we entered into that a little bit again on Sunday by reminding ourselves that God demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that our salvation, this great salvation that God gives us, give, gave us, rescued us from the penalty and the power and one day from the very presence of sin. That's how much God loves us. And as we talked about even last Wednesday night, we are God's inheritance. Think about it. I wouldn't even want me for my inheritance. And yet the God of the universe says, Jeff, I want you as my inheritance for all of eternity. And God has said that about each and every one of us. We, Paul says to the Ephesians, is the inheritance of God. He's wanting to spend eternity in fellowship and in closeness to you and I. So we have here being rich in mercy. We have his great love towards us. But then if you get down to verse 7, notice the, this phrase, the surpassing wealth of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of words there, right? Not just wealth, but surpassing wealth. Surpassing wealth of what? His grace, which by the way, Paul also says that two other times. In verse 5, by grace you are saved. And then again in verse 8, oh, by grace we are saved. That's his heart. In other words, Paul's reminding us that all we have been given in Christ and through Christ is simply because God wanted to do it. Not because he had to, not because anyone twisted his arm, not because we earned it, not because we deserved it. It's all by grace, amazing grace. But I also want us to focus on that word in verse 7, kindness. You see, Paul is revealing to us not just the power of God in us that is the God factor in our life, but the heart of God towards us by using 
these words of mercy and love and grace and kindness. Oh, by the way, and I'll mention this from verse 8, the gift of God is our salvation. Again, the gift. What a gift. How generous a God we have. We cannot outgive our God. And the Bible says he withholds no good thing from those that he loves. What a God. So Paul is saying to us, does that not change our perspective? That God factor, but God, when we think of his power in us and his heart towards us? But Paul doesn't stop there. Notice he also in this passage mentions his union with us. His union with us. That we are forever connected to God. We are inseparable with him. That's why he even places his Holy Spirit not with us, but in us. But notice these phrases. He, he starts out by saying in verse 5, that, that uh, we were made alive with Christ. Then he goes on to say, oh, and we were raised, don't miss these next two words, with him. And then he says, we were seated in the heavenly realms with him. You see, Paul wants us to understand the connection, the union that we have with God. That God sees us again as partners. This is an unbelievable partnership. And who's my partner? Not just anyone. Who's your partner every day? Not just anyone. Our partner every day is the Lord of glory. The almighty God. That's our partner every day. We are with him. And there's nothing, Paul says, that can ever separate us. Jesus even said, no one will ever be able to pluck you out of my Father's hand. There's a union there. There's a connection there, you see. And that connection is forever. So again, every day that I get up and I live through the day, this God factor of not only his power and his heart towards, towards us, but the fact that we are united with him. And from God's perspective, it's not just united in earth. God already sees us united with him in glory in heaven. Because from God's perspective, we're already there anyway. Yes, we still have to go through our earthly life. But from God's perspective, once we accepted Christ, we're already there. We are already with him, seated with him up there. That's what awaits us. That's the hope that God wants us to have every day through our union with him. So, no wonder, even though Paul paints a very bleak picture in the first three verses, when he gets to verse 4, everything changes for two, two words. But God. He changes everything. We now have a power. We now have his heart towards us. We now have him united with us, but Paul doesn't stop there. The other thing Paul points out in this passage is his honor 
that he bestows upon us. His honor that he bestows upon us. Because notice what he says in verse 7. That as children of God, we are now going to be basically witnesses. Put on display for all of the universe to see in the coming ages, literally throughout the rest of eternity, who God is and what God can do. Us. In other words, Paul's saying, you realize you are separated and special and valued unlike anything else that God ever created. And that the, the one thing out of God's creation that he's going to put on display to be a witness for him throughout all of eternity about who he is and what he can do is you and I. We are going to be the ones to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, us. Well, that honor doesn't end with that. Notice what he says about us in verse 10. We are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. I'm going to stay on this verse for the rest of our time together tonight. But let's not miss what God is saying. You want to talk about an honor that God gives to us? He says, you're my workmanship. You know what that word is in the original language? It's the word poema. It's where we get our English word poem from. It literally means a work of art or a masterpiece. Do you get what God is saying here through the Apostle Paul? He's saying, I not only saved you, you are my living masterpiece. You are my work of art. And if any verse, too, can I say this? If there's any verse in the New Testament that is a reminder to us that salvation is not the end, it is just the beginning, it is Ephesians 2.10. Because Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that God doesn't stop his work when we become a Christian, that God continues to sort of release us, if you will, from the block of granite or stone or marble that we were at first, and he's going to liberate us from that and create this masterpiece from this. I went there because I was reading an article years ago about Michelangelo, and that's what the great artist said, someone asked him one time as he was sitting there staring at this block of marble, how do you do what you do? And he says, I can envision liberating what sculpture I'm going to do from this block. That's what God does with us only 10 times better than Michelangelo. He takes us where we are when we become a Christian and he literally works in us and works through us for the rest of our earthly life. And even Paul says to the Philippians that I am sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, verse 6. We're his workmanship. What an honor, you see. Again, we're the only part of his creation It's like that. Everything else that God created, he created, and it serves its purpose, but it's sort of there. 
You and I are so different that through Jesus Christ and our relationship with him, we now become a new creation. And God now, once we become a Christian, begins to work and deliberate who he designed us to be throughout the rest of our life. We now become his masterpiece, his work of art that he wants to put on display to show others what kind of a God he is, how powerful he is, how loving and gracious and kind and merciful he is. All of these things, Paul says in verse 10. What an honor, what a privilege to be God's masterpiece, God's work of art. But I want to say some things about this verse that is important. In this verse that talks about this honor that God bestows upon us, I see three things that you and I need to keep in mind. If we are to be a work of God, we need to keep these three things in mind. Pliable, purposeful, and productive. First off, pliable. Are we cooperating with God in what he wants to do in and through us? You know, that's, that's part of it. Yes, God wants to work, but God wants our cooperation in the work, you see. And just like the Old Testament uses the illustration of the potter and the clay and, and uses us as, as, as the clay and the potter as an illustration or example of God, God wants to mold us and make us, obviously, after his plan, his purpose, his design, his will. And over and over again, God is working with us. Are we pliable? Are we pliable? But then Paul goes on in verse 10 to say that God planned beforehand a couple things. First of all, that we would do good works. That's what we were created for. Good works. Well, that speaks of purpose. See, every day, God wants us to do good works. Good works just simply means things that are beneficial and profitable. That's what the word good means. How can I be beneficial and profitable in God's kingdom and to others each and every day? That's my purpose. That's part of the work that God wants me to do. But here's what I want us to see, too. There is a connection between the work that God first has to do in us before God can effectively work through us. Let me say that again, because that's important. Before God can effectively work through us, we've got to allow God to work in us, because you see that here. We are God's workmanship first, having been created in Christ Jesus for good work. If we're going to be effective in doing good, the purpose God has for us in Christ Jesus, then we first have to let God work in us. As we then allow God to work in us, then God can more effectively work through us. And then Paul ends verse 10 by saying that God had planned beforehand so we may 
do them. The word do means to be productive, to make something, to accomplish something, to be fruitful, you see. So every day I should, am, am I pliable in the hands of my God? Am I living every day with purpose? Asking God, Lord, how can I be beneficial and profitable to your kingdom and to those around me? And am I being productive? You know, Jesus spent a lot of time while he was here on earth teaching in parables. And many of those parables dealt with this idea of being productive, that God entrusted people with certain things gifts, abilities, talents, treasure, whatever, and that he would go away, but that he would come back one day and sort of settle the accounts of what did they do with what God gave them while he was away. That goes back again to that whole idea of how important it is that we be productive, that whatever God gave us, that God doesn't expect us to, to, to do something with what we don't have but what has he given us? What abilities and talents and gifts and, and treasures and time and all of that, what has he given us that we can be productive in? Because the whole idea behind this word do, if I had to sum it up, would be stewardship. Being good stewards of the resources and all that God has given us. God Planned beforehand so we may do them. Not talk about it. <laughs> do them, you see. Because a lot of times, you know, we can all be guilty of talking about things. But how about actually getting out there and doing it? Notice, Paul says, no, no. God created us for good works so that we might do not just talk about it. So, Paul begins chapter 2 by reminding us of who we were before we came to Christ. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were as bad off as we could possibly be. And throughout this passage, Paul is saying, we could do nothing to help ourselves. Couldn't raise ourselves from the spiritual dead. If God would have not entered into the equation, we're done, we're lost. But God, verse 4, God came into our life, came into this universe that he created, and God reached out through Jesus Christ and changed everything. And Paul wants us as Christians, especially as children of God, to see where God brought us from spiritually so that the rest of the way of our earthly life, we will be more pliable and more compliant and more cooperative and even more trusting and more believing in what God wants to do in and through us because of where God has already brought us spiritually so that we won't balk at where God wants to take us for the rest of our earthly life. And that's a challenge, again, to us as a church, 
because God wants to do greater things. Do we as a community of believers really believe that God can do great things through us? Well, if we were reminded about where God brought us from, and even as a church, don't we even have a history? Started out with that few people back in 2010 over there at Basha High School, and now look at where God's brought us. And God uses these journeys in our life to remind us, here's where you were, here's where you are because of me. Now I want you the same faith that you exhibited to get from here to here, I want you to keep using that same faith to go from here even further. And God wants us to be that way as individual Christians. That's why Paul says, I never want you to forget. I don't want you to dwell on your past. I don't want you to be consumed with who you were before you came to Christ. I don't want it to be discouraging to you that you were dead. I want it to actually be an encouragement to you to see this is who I was before Christ came in. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. Now I'm not only made alive with Christ, now I'm raised with Christ. Now I'm seated with him in the heavenly realms. That's how far God's brought me. And if I believe and trust that God could bring me that far spiritually, then why can I not trust him to do greater things through me and in me for the rest of the way as long as I live on this earth? Because Paul says, are we not his workmanship, his masterpiece, his poem that he wants to write something and show not only to everyone in this life, but as Paul says in verse 7, to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The God factor, but God. It changes everything in our life because of God's power in us, God's heart towards us, because of God's union with us and because of the honor that God bestows upon us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us more than we could ever imagine. God, we sit here tonight so rich so wealthy. We are literally bathed in your love, in your mercy, in your kindness, and in your grace. Even as Christians, God, sometimes we have to be reminded of where we've come from in order to get us to keep on going to where you want us to be. And so I hope tonight Lord, that this was an encouragement to my dear brothers and sisters. That all of us would be reminded tonight, God, you have brought us so far. And yet, God, you're not finished. Until we see Jesus Christ, you want to continue to create a masterpiece with our life. 
And so, God, I pray that we would continue to trust you and believe in you and have faith in you that whatever you want to do in and through us, God, we would cooperate, we would be pliable in the Master's hands. God, we see the great works of art that people have made down through history. And many times we're in awe of what a human being can do. But God, even the best artists of human history pales in comparison to what you, the master artist, can do with a human life. And God, I pray tonight that all of us would go to bed tonight and even wake up tomorrow morning with the realization that I'm God's work of art. I'm God's masterpiece. God wants to do so much in and through my life. And he's going to put me on display in the coming ages as a demonstration of what an awesome and amazing and great and loving and kind and merciful God he is. God, we stand in all of you tonight. And I pray, God, that this message would not just capture our hearts as individuals, but, God, that this message would capture our hearts as a church. That, God, we would realize there's so much more that you want to do in and through the oasis before we see Jesus. And that, God, you're just getting started with this work of art called the Oasis Church. Help us to trust you completely, God, to rest in you and to realize, God, that with you, all things are possible. You have already raised us from the dead once, and one day you will raise us from the dead again. But until that day, Help us to realize that there's nothing that you can't do in and through us if we believe in you, God. Take us home tonight, God. As your children, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.